All right, as we turn to Scripture, let's pray together. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark chapter 1. Let's listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and went with, left Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You know, when you're a minister, especially when you're a minister to be and you're, you're going through all of the hoops of ordination, you get asked over and over again about your call story. How did you get the call to become a minister? What was your burning bush? You know, God called Moses out of a burning bush. So people presume everyone has a similar call story to tell. And people want to hear that story. What were you doing and thinking and feeling when God grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and and tossed you into ministry? Barbara Brown Taylor talks about her experience reviewing applications for seminary, which is where ministers go to learn how to be ministers. There was one man, she writes, who enclosed a photo of himself as a child evangelist, all decked out in a white suit with spit-combed blonde hair. Someone else had a vision in which Jesus reached out to her and took her by the hand and, and called her by name. But the best was the guy who got out of prison to come for the interview. He had been convicted of armed robbery in Alabama and became a Christian while serving his sentence. Along the way, he gained a reputation as a jailhouse preacher. A local church adopted him and pledged to send him to seminary. If the seminary would let him in, he told us, the parole board would let him out. And in the course of the interview, he told us about his crime. It took place in a convenience store. He was just a stupid kid, he said, who had almost changed his mind when a police officer came into the store and saw what was going on. Everyone panicked and shots rang out and the would-be thief was hit. It had been years ago, but he still relished the tale. And sitting there at that polished oak conference table with a bunch of pasty-faced seminary types, he pulled up his shirt to show us where the bullet had gone in his belly and out his back. That was my burning bush, he said with a big grin on his face. That's a pretty good call story. The call story of Peter and Andrew and James and John may not involve bullets, but it's still pretty dramatic. Peter and Andrew are by the Sea of Galilee, casting their nets when Jesus comes along and calls them to follow, telling them, I will make you fish for people. 
And without hesitation, the text says immediately, without asking a question, without stopping to count the cost, they drop their nets and follow. James and John are in the boat with their father Zebedee and Jesus calls and and they drop everything and, and jump out of the boat and splash their way to the shore and follow. Peter and Andrew and James and John would have good call stories to tell if they ever went to seminary. But I'll tell you this, I do, I do worry about these remarkable call stories. I worry that they do more harm than good. They make the call to follow seem so dramatic, all visions and voices and burning bushes, leaving your family and your livelihood and everything behind. They seem so intense, so disruptive that it may cause us to miss the quieter calls of our lives. And and if we're being honest, we may prefer it that way. Because then we can go about our business without being bothered, right? Calls are for holy people. The rest of us need not apply and can get on with our lives. And yet, here we are on this very cold Sunday morning. And I've got to think we wouldn't be here if we weren't looking for something. Some sense of purpose or direction. Some sense of call. And sometimes it's those dramatic call stories, the idea that the call should, should blow the roof off our lives that keeps us from taking the next step, any step in our own sense of call. And so we, we listen, we ponder, we put off. Not yet, we say, but soon, just around the next bend, then we'll have it all figured out, and then we'll start living the life we feel called to live Do you do that? I do. I'm always dreaming about that perfect life that's just around the next bend in the road. You know, we'll live in the country and we'll grow all our own food and read philosophy all day and study the stars at night. Is that not your dream? But then there's the reality. I don't actually want to live in the country and I've never so much as planted a seed in a styrofoam cup. And the eyes of my family and friends instantly glaze over the moment I start talking about philosophy. And I can identify a total of about three constellations in the night sky. The perfect dream is a fantasy. But that doesn't stop me from thinking that fulfillment is out there somewhere just beyond my reach rather than right here. I think this happens to so many of us. We can never quite reach the perfection we think we want. And this gives us permission to live half-lives, to postpone full immersion in the life we've got. The life we're living now isn't our real life, not yet, so we don't really give it all we've got. We keep dismissing what we do every day. We keep discounting who we are because it doesn't match our fantasy of who we should be and what we should do. And maybe that all goes back to a, to a messed up sense of call. So there's another character in this story. You've got Zebedee. Remember Zebedee? He's the father of James and John sitting in his boat while his sons walk away. Was Zebedee called to? Apparently he wasn't called to drop everything and go on the road with his sons. But maybe he had a call too, a quieter call. Zebedee was called to go back home to his ordinary life. 
He wasn't called to walk the high road of adventure. He was called to find God within the life he already had. He wasn't called to roam the hills with Jesus. He was called to find Jesus in the faces of those he loved and those who needed him. He was called to go on doing what he was already doing, being a father and husband and friend and fisherman, only doing it in a new way with God's grace shining through. What if the lives God is calling us to are not all burning bushes and bullet holes, not to be found in some far-off perfection? What if the lives God is calling us to are the ones we're living right now? I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the movie My Octopus Teacher. I gave you all homework to see it. How many of you actually saw it? All right, I'm very disappointed in you, class. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you. You really should see it. Now, the movie tells you up front that an octopus only lives for about a year. And it also tells us that the filmmaker follows this octopus for about a year. So you don't have to do a lot of math to figure out that the movie does not have a conventional happy ending. I'll spare you the details, but there is a point in the movie where if you have grown emotionally attached to this particular octopus, things take a sad turn. And towards the end of the movie, the octopus lays a clutch of eggs, and that marks the beginning of the end for her. And I watched this with my family, and we all felt a great deal of sadness at that moment and later we were talking about it around the kitchen table and and one of my girls said something remarkable well at least she got to fulfill her purpose she got to fulfill her purpose right you could have seen this story the story of this octopus as a kind of tragedy an aimless wandering around the kelp forest a desperate and doomed struggle for survival an end that is too cold and too soon but she got to fulfill her purpose purpose changes the story it transforms the story her wandering wasn't aimless her struggle wasn't doomed her end was an expression of the of the beautiful resilience of life purpose can transform tragedy into triumph and maybe purpose is just another word for call. We all have a purpose. We all have a call. We may not know exactly what shape it takes or exactly when it will turn this way or that, but it's not waiting for us out there somewhere. It's waiting for us right here, right now, in the very next step we take. And so maybe the key to finding our purpose, to living our call, is just to get moving to start right now, today, this week, to live the life you're already living, but in a new way, scattering seeds of grace wherever you go. Now, I'm not saying you don't have voices and visions and burning bushes in your future. Maybe you do. But we don't have to wait for that. We can waste so much time worrying about our purpose, our call, waiting for signs, spinning our wheels because we don't think we're worthy. But I think it's simpler than that. Take the next step today. Choose to make peace 
today. Spark happiness in someone, anyone, today. Give thanks for this beautiful world even when it's bitterly cold today. Show kindness. Speak a word of healing today. Let go of your anger and resentment today. Forgive today. Love today. Take the next step. Get moving. We don't need to map out the whole journey. We don't need answers to every question. We just need to know a direction to go. And we know that direction looks something like Jesus. So let's get moving. Let's fulfill our purpose and follow our call one step at a time. Let's live our ordinary lives with extraordinary love. Thanks be to God. Amen.